most CIs, I don't think do a good job of being intentional with setting up like what is the way that you learn the best. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back to today's episode of the podcast. Uh, I am joined by Dr. Troy Cuck. What's going on, guys? And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, we've been kind of gearing the last several episodes towards students, new grads, and we wanted to talk a little bit about um, challenging CIs or challenging clinical instructors. Um, You know, obviously we all try to, and we did a podcast talking about picking your clinical rotations, which uh, in that podcast, we mentioned that although you can try to pick the best clinical rotation for your goals and for, you know, where you want to be in your career, but ultimately that does come down to the, your experience comes down to in large part who the clinical instructor is that you get paired with. And most of the time you don't have control over that. I'd say 95% of the time. I've actually never heard of somewhere where you really got to pick clinical instructors unless you got to pick the, your own clinic. And that was like the only clinician there. Um, and so you, people can be put in situations. I think that they do have challenging, you know, circumstances with, the way that they maybe don't mesh with the clinical instructor from a belief standpoint, a philosophical standpoint, or, you know, just in terms of what the clinical instructor is asking of them. But Troy, when you were in school and going through your clinicals, did you ever have any clinical instructor like challenges? I'd say I was pretty fortunate to the point where I didn't have any challenges where, you know, you hear all the time, there are like these horror stories with the CIs where they just didn't get along well. They, you know, had like screaming battles with each other and it just was not like a friendly, you know, educational promoting environment. Fortunately enough for myself, I did not have that. I would say the only one I had was I had a a CI where it was just, he was part of a teaching hospital and unfortunately it was not a, a great time to have a student because he like had just had a newborn baby and was, you know, super busy and, you know, obviously not getting a lot of sleep and just, you know, would come into work tired and just not wanting to teach a student basically. But I mean, I kind of rolled with the punches, just got help from other sources and was able to kind of work my way through it without it really affecting my clinical too much. And then towards the end, once I was kind of on my way a little bit more, was a little bit more independent where he didn't have to help me as much, it was a a great relationship and it turned out well. So luckily for myself, I hadn't. But um, we were talking earlier a little bit. It sounded like you had uh, a a CI that was a little bit challenging for you. Yeah, I mean, I got, I I think in general, you're working with human beings, right? So there's always going to be, if you're with someone 40 hours a week, there are gonna be times in that week, especially if you're with them for eight, 12 weeks where um, you know things are not perfect. And so there can be some challenges and that's just a normal part of working with other humans. Um, 
I did have a clinical instructor who I think I, from a philosophical or maybe even like a moral standpoint, I didn't totally align with where you know, I felt like decisions were maybe being made that were not putting the patient's best interest uh, first. And it was more about kind of like the personal drama side of being in that environment over what was best for the patient. And I felt like, you know, there were instances where that clinical instructor was like more judgmental about patients and, you know, it just wasn't, I think a healthy narrative for me to be hearing, or it wasn't like a good example that was being set for me. Obviously I knew like, okay, this is, this is somewhat of an outlier, like a unique person who just uniquely does not want to be doing this career anymore. Um, and you know, I mean, it, it was unfortunate. It was something that I had to kind of just bite down on my mouthpiece and just keep going. Um, but I think when people who are students now or who are going in clinical rotations have those experience, I can empathize with them because it was challenging to just be motivated to go back to the clinic. And obviously that's a time that you've been waiting for for a long time. You anticipate going into it and it's gonna be this really cool experience that you've been excited for and you've been studying for two years or however long. And then it's just kinda, of, you know, anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, you, you get there and you don't actually wanna be there because of, you know, something that seemingly could have been avoided. Um, and unfortunately, as a student, you know, you saw those situations and you may have thought like, you know, I think the, the CI can maybe even benefit from doing this and this. And you felt like you could like almost step in and help out. But in that situation, you just have to, you know, know your place, know your student, and try and not cause too much wake. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely push the push the boundaries a little bit. Um, you know, I was I would ask some questions just about like, well, what do you think about, you know, maybe this point or what would you say if someone were to try to like play devil's advocate or counter that and say this, and I would try to float some ideas out there sometimes to, to try to counter things or to try to get the person thinking and to, and to their credit, they were very receptive to that stuff when I would do that. Um, but I just think from a, a position that they were in their lives, just working a full-time job and doing that thing. It had been a recent change in their life. It just like wasn't a, from a personal standpoint, a good time for them to, uh, you know, be super happy at work and especially not be responsible for, um, the education of, of a student. So that side of it was definitely challenging and, um, but like you said, you, you have to roll with the punches and get through it regardless. Um, I know I had some other classmates who went through different types of challenges where maybe the clinical instructor was uh, giving them a ton of stuff to do outside of their clinic and it was just becoming overwhelming or other instances where the clinical instructor, like where they had maybe multiple clinical instructors and they had to balance the views of two or three people at, at the same time or, or something of that nature. Um, were there any other common challenges that you'd see classmates like complain about or mention? 
I would say that. And then you also had the people where the CI just was kind of not present that much. You were just there and from the get-go kind of on your own to survive and, and figure out the ways of the clinic without too much guidance and just, you know, zero input. Um, I'd say that was a common one. And then you also had the other ones where they just did not get along well and they were just constantly oh, butting so heads. And they were just constantly butting heads and it was just like a battle the whole time. They're constantly fighting each other and then... But I feel like in most cases, towards the end, after the 8, 10, 12 weeks, like most cases, like it started off bad and then they kind of figured out how each other worked and then it, it ended better in the end. But I feel like the common theme always with a lot of these was just a breakdown in communication. Yeah, and that's where I think most CIs, I don't think, do a good job of being intentional with setting up like what is the way that you learn the best sometimes you have that on your little like interview or intake paperwork or whatever before you start your clinic but no one no one's like really reading that and taking it to heart but i think you know like when we had uh hannah here when we had tyler here in in both those instances it's like let's go sit down block off an hour of time or half an hour or whatever sit down and have a conversation about what what would be like the worst case scenario for you for me to do in the clinic would it be to interrupt you while you were working with a patient to tell you what you're doing wrong or would it be to let you drown through an evaluation for an hour without butting in and then giving you all the feedback after for one person one of those could be horrifying and the and a different person, the opposite is horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, why waste four, six weeks of a clinical rotation doing the thing that the student would have been able to tell you in the first hour of the first day they didn't like or that was less effective for them? So I feel like CIs sometimes have an inclination to teach the student in the way that they think that they know how to teach rather than teach the student in the way that the student knows that they need to learn in mm -hmm. and then you yeah you end up butting heads a lot and and having breakdown in communication i think students oftentimes don't prepare themselves either on the other end of being able to understand like what would be a better way for a ci to give me feedback or what would be worse and then reflecting on that so that the first day you can tell them and if three, four weeks down the road, you realize like, I don't think I actually, this isn't actually my preferred feedback style. At least you've had that conversation. And then you can say, hey, could we try this type of feedback instead and see, cause I'm getting a little uncomfortable with X, Y, and Z with how we're doing it now. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, I feel like a lot of times going into the clinical, you do get that paperwork and it's it's probably one of the most important things in your learning experience is the feedback and making sure it's provided to you the right way whether it's going to be hey okay we need to set an hour aside on these days and we're going to go over some like hands-on stuff so that you can practice it and learn it better or maybe we just need to talk about it at the end of the day and i think discussing all of the aspects of feedback maybe 
you're good with just like real quick, concise, you know, five minutes at the end of the day feedback, or maybe you need a little bit more where you need to sit down and really like talk things out, kind of lay out different scenarios, talk about case examples, and you need a little bit more time. If that's the case, then hopefully the CI is able to build that into the schedule. But, you know, we talk about it all the time in PT school and working with our patients, the knowledge of performance and knowledge of results. And I feel like, at, at least in my experience, like the knowledge of results was found to be like so much more beneficial when talking about treating. But depending on where you are in the learning curve and how you are personally, you may need that knowledge of performance. And, and maybe that changes throughout the clinical too. So it's important to keep an open line of communication with the CI and let them know like, like, hey, um, when I was going through that eval and you like kind of came in and fixed me on the spot, like that totally threw off my whole mojo and I feel like I couldn't go through the clinical. I felt like the, the patient wasn't like confident in me anymore after that. Like in the future, could you just kind of let me stumble through it? Like you said, drown through the, the eval, unless it's something, you know, safety concern and there's a, a precedent issue that they need to take care of. But other than that, let me make it through the eval and then we can talk about it. Because a lot of times the patients aren't going to pick up on those little things that only the, the CI and the, the student understand from like the eval process. Like the, the patient won't know you're doing anything wrong kind of thing. So a lot of those things can wait till afterwards. Yeah. And like you said, if it's not safety and like the patient's not going to get better because you evaled them correctly, the patient's going to get better because the plan of care was put in place in such a way that it included all aspects of the things that they would need to get better. So it's like, I know for myself, I never really cared about whether or not I got this one interaction right and did this one eval perfectly. I, I wanted more like big picture guidance. So I was like, okay, what is the plan of care for this patient? Like what, and maybe that did relate to my eval where I, I didn't assess things that I could have assessed that would have highlighted how the plan of care should be um, pursued. But I, I always felt like I, I need a little bit more big picture. And that meant most of the time the feedback I needed would be towards the end, like after the interaction was done and like, let's talk about that patient rather than, oh, here you want to make sure that you're checking strength in this eval and like resist the shoulder flexion or whatever, whatever, like small detail it was. Um, what about, cause we've, we've had this, uh, I don't want to say issue, but we had that, this situation earlier or at the end of last year with Hannah, who, if you've been listening to the podcast since then, she was on a bunch of episodes back then, but she had split CIs. And a lot of clinics do that. I, I talked to a student actually last week and for, kind of for the last like month on and off just because they've been having some trouble uh, where they had a 12-week clinical and the first six weeks were with one CI and the next six weeks were, were with a different CI. And one of the CIs was heavily McKenzie oriented and then the next CI was seeing more of a neuropopulation, but then when they saw ortho, it like was not McKenzie in any way. Um, and so they were struggling to try to know like how much of this should I learn because the next girl isn't this or that. Um, have you ever had, you didn't have any split CIs, did you? 
I actually did, um, and I, I can understand how it's challenging, especially if they're using two completely different schools of thought and evaluation and treatment approach because you're essentially starting a new clinical six weeks in, which is very frustrating because about six weeks you're getting you know fairly independent at that point, taking on a decent caseload, and then just like that, you're starting from ground zero. So I can understand that it'd probably be very, you know, frustrating and may may crush the motivation a little bit um for myself actually in two of my clinicals i kind of shared time with different ci's luckily for me they all used similar concepts and bigger pictures and principles so it was there was a pretty smooth continuum of care other than like the intricates of the the evals and like little things this one did that this one didn't but um other than that i was fortunate enough to have the same big picture but uh, I'm interested to see what you think. Um, that may be, there may be a benefit to that too, because now you're being exposed to two different kinds of styles of assessment, of treatment approaches, and even just like theories and philosophy behind physical therapy. And that may help better, better help craft you as a clinician, because maybe you take some pieces of, in this instance, McKenzie, a little bit of the pieces from the neuro and the orthopedic patients that that's the I was seeing, and you kind of form your own like middle ground when you're treating. We've talked about it before, like these big, um, like schools of thought and systems and how usually a blend is better. And maybe having multiple CIs just gives you more exposure to different ideas and thought processes so that you can kind of really figure out, you know, what do I truly believe in? How do I want to practice? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that when we're looking at someone who's in their second, third, fourth, like towards the end of their, their experiences, it can definitely have that benefit to like be exposed to more. I don't see that in most instances it'd be super like i don't think that you need to see two schools of thought in your first rotation i think you need to know just the very foundational like get comfortable going through an eval and then once you have the basics down you can see an, an you know fairly straightforward patient you can evaluate them and you know go through a plan of care with them then it's like okay let's get exposed to this person's thought process versus this person's and you know see what else is out there so to me whether or not it's going to be beneficial depends on the time at which it happens if it's in a first clinical rotation you know it, it is going to be hard and i think that's another place where when you're discussing your goals with the the ci it's you know you can communicate to them that you really want to do the basics well and you want to develop some foundational knowledge about you know assessment and this and that and that you're potentially interested in more complex or niche systems down the road but that right now you just want to focus on treatment you know from a more global perspective or more generalist perspective and, you know, you can also communicate to them that you are a little apprehensive to be too, you know, narrow in your scope on one system because you're going to switch CIs in six weeks. Uh, and they'll, they should be able to get that, you know, if, if they're so dogmatic that they're like, oh, well, you know, you better, you better learn it now because you're, no one else is going to be able to teach you this, that you're just back in a situation where 
you're just going with the punches and just move one day at a time. But Mm -hmm. um, in most instances, I think early on, just communicate that you want to just get good at the basics and the systems are just something that maybe you'll look into, you know, as you progress and, and, or maybe on your time off or whatever. Um, but that you're not opposed to necessarily being exposed to it. And then later on, I think, try to benefit from it. You know, like I know even for myself in residency, I'm getting more exposure to some of that, like the differences in, you know, we got one evidence-based clinician on one side who uses some literature to support his beliefs. And then we have another evidence-based clinician on the other side who uses the same exact literature to somehow support slightly different beliefs or radically different beliefs. And being exposed to that is helpful, but I only think it's helpful now because I can fall back on, you know, the basics of what I know to be fairly consistently true. And then almost like play a mental game of tennis between the McKenzie and the PRIs in my brain to Mm -hmm. try to wrap my head around like what usefulness does any system or whatever pose to me as a clinician. But at the end of the day, I can still fall back on the basics. I, I feel like if you can establish those, then being exposed to that stuff is great but you don't want to like put the cart before the horse and dive too down too deep down one thing. And then that becomes the replacement for a foundation that doesn't even exist. And then you can't do anything else. Cause that's all, that's all, you know, you rely on that. Yeah. You're, yeah. you end up like, yeah, I think a lot of people do that with like the SFMA mm-hmm. where they, a new grad comes out, they want to do some sports stuff. So they learn the SFMA and then they're like really stuck into not understanding how to evaluate someone without looking at those specific movements and without having that nice cookie cutter kind of system. Um, so I think it's almost like embrace the uncertainty a little bit. You find a way to navigate through that gray foggy like realm. And then that process will make you better at then picking out systems and what is helpful for me each. But it is just a challenge. I was lucky. I wasn't, I wasn't ever put in that position. I, I, my only one like acute care, I was able to switch a few days in the 12 weeks. I might've spent like five days of the 12 weeks with other PTs, whether it was just like spent a day and a half in the NICU, spent a day with a neuro PT, spent a day with a, another acute care, like a joint replacement. And but they weren't like becoming my CI in any capacity. It was just like, Hey, here's what I do. It was a short term thing. It was almost yeah. like a, a half shadowing. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. It, that's basically what it was. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it's definitely a challenge. I think having the conversation, just like we went, we were talking about in the beginning, like being open about, Hey, I'm a little hesitant, you know, to, either delve too deep into this or what, what best advice do you have for me as a student who's going to be having two different clinical instructors? Is there something that we can work out together to make that process more, you know, tolerable or seamless for me? And then hear what they have to say. Just asking the question demonstrates that it is something that you are thinking about. I'm concerned. And then that might become more likely to be on their radar versus you never asking or mentioning anything ever. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, and learn from your first clinical, even your second clinical, how you responded to your previous CI, what you liked, what you didn't like. And then when you're starting your next clinical, use that to talk to your new CI and be like, hey, I did really well with this stuff. This, uh, this stuff I did not respond well to. And that way you can just get off on the right foot with your instructor. But, you know, it always comes down to communication with any kind of um, problems you're having. And it's just having an open conversation with that, being, un get comfortable being uncomfortable, bringing it up to a CI and being like, it's okay to be like, hey, you know, the, the CI needs to learn just as much as the student needs to learn about teaching as it is from you learning. So it's a, it's a two-way street. Yeah, and that's a good point because it's not a coincidence that my most challenging CI relationship was my first. And then my second one was slightly better, but not as good as my third. And then the third was the, the absolute best. Um, and it was like, you do kind of get better at being a good student. Uh, because that is a weird kind of student clinician CI relationship is it's the first time you've ever done that. Yeah. So you do get better at it if you're being conscious about it. As a CI, how do you take feedback? Do you see it as constructive or do you see it as like, I don't know, like how do you take the feedback from a student? Like, hey, I'm not responding well to this. Oh, I mean, I love it. I I think it's like sweet. What do you respond better to? Like what what do you think we can do to make this better? Because I don't personally, I mean I care about the students learning, mm -hmm. but I better not be caring about it more than them. Exactly. If I feel like I am, then that's when it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um and so if the student cares enough to give me feedback because they want to learn better, that that gets me more excited about teaching them. Um, so to me, it's like all positive if they do that. Now, if it, if it's just like a, like a kind of leave me alone type of feedback yeah. where they just want less of my presence, um, that might be fine depending on, you know, if I know like I'm being a little overbearing or yeah. whatever, but, um, yeah, I think it, it all to some degree depends on the, the delivery, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but no, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely welcome it. I ask for it more than I get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I love the feedback. I feel like it just makes our jobs as CIs easier too. It makes it 100%. easier for both parties. Yeah, you don't have to second guess like, ah, am I doing well at like teaching this person? Like, do they feel this or that? It's like, nope, if they tell me that makes my life way easier because then I can just adjust and keep going. Mm -hmm. um, so it keeps everyone happy. But hopefully you guys enjoyed or got something from that episode. Uh, if you guys have any questions, you can reach out to me uh, on Instagram at maxlepage.dpt. And troy.cuck.dpt. And we will talk to you guys in the next one. Later. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.